you are listening to The Great Gatsby by F Scott Fitzgerald This audiobook is brought to you by Kriti and it's narrated by Aishwarya Chapter 7 It was when curiosity about Gatsby was at its highest that the lights in his house failed to go on one Saturday night and as obscurely as it has begun his career as trimalchi was over only gradually did i became aware that the automobiles which turned expectantly to his drive stayed for just a minute and then drove sakili away wondering if i were sick i went over to find out an unfamiliar butler with a villainous face squinted at me suspiciously from the door is mr gatsby sick nope after a pause he added sir is in dilatory grudging away i hadn't seen him around and i was rather worried tell him mr garway came over who he demanded rudely caraway caraway all right i'll tell him abruptly he slammed the door my fin informed me that gatsby had demised every servant in his house a week later ago and replaced them with half a dozen others who never went into west egg village to be bribed by the tradesmen but ordered moderate supplies over the telephone the grocery boy reported that the kitchen looked like a pixty and the general opinion in a village was that the new people were in servants at all next day gatsby called me on the phone going away i inquired no old sport i hear you fired all the servants i wanted somebody who wouldn't gossip daisy comes over quite often in the afternoon so the whole caravansary had fallen in it like a card house at a disapproval in his eyes there are some people ulsim wanted to do something for they all brothers and sisters they used to run a small hotel ho oh, i see he was calling up at daisy's request would i come to your lunch at your house tomorrow miss baker would be there half an hour later Daisy herself telephoned and seemed relieved to find that I was coming. Something was up, and yet I couldn't believe that they would choose their occasion for a scene, especially for the rather harrowing scene that Gatsby had outlined in a garden. The next day was brawling, almost the last, certainly the warmest of the summer. As my train emerged from the tunnel into a sunlight only the hot whistles of National Biscuit Company broke the simmering hush at noon the straw seats of the car hovered on the edge of a combustion the women next to me perspired delicately for a while into her white shirt vest and then as her newspaper damped under her fingers lapsed desperately into deep heat with a desolate cry her pocket book slammed to the door oh my she gasped 
I picked it up with a weary bend and handed it back to her, holding it at my arm's length and by an extreme trip of corners to indicate that I had no design upon it, but everyone nearby, including the women, suspected me just the same. Hot, said the conductor to familiar faces. Some weather. Hot, hot and hot. It is hot enough for you. Is it hot? Yeah, is it? My computation ticket came back to me with a dark stain from his hand. That anyone should care in his heat, whose flushed lips he kissed, whose head made a dumb, the pyjamas pocket over his heart. Through the hall of the Buckingham's house blew a faint wind, carrying the sound of telephone bell out to Gatsby and me as we waited at the door. The master's body roared the butler into a mouthpiece. I'm sorry, madam, but we can't furnish it. It's far too hot to touch this noon. What he really said was, Yes, yes, I'll see. He set down the receiver and came towards us, glistening slightly to take off our stiff straw hats. Madam, expects you in a saloon, he cried, needlessly indicating the direction. In this heat, every extra gesture was an effort to a common store to life. The room shadowed well with owings was dark and cool. Daisy and Jordan laid upon an enormous couch like a silver idols waiting down their own white dresses against the singing breeze of the fans. We can't move, they said together. Jordan's finger, powdered white over their tan, rested for a moment in mine. And Mr. Thomas Buchanan, the athlete, I inquired. Simultaneously, I heard his voice, gruff, muffled, husky, at a hall telephone. Gatsby stood in the center of a crimson carpet and gazed around with his fascinated eyes. Daisy watched him and laughed her sweet, exciting laugh, a tiny gush of powder rose from her blossom into the air. The rumor is, whispered Jordan, that storm girl on the telephone. We were silent. The voice in the hall rose high with annoyance. Very well, then. I won't sell you the car at all. I'm under no obligations to you at all. And so, for your bothering me about it, at lunchtime, I won't stand that at all. Holding down the receiver, said Daisy cynically. No, he's not. I assured her. It's a bona fide deal. I happen to know about it. Tom flung open the door, blocked out its space for a moment with his thick body and hurried into a room. Mr. Gatsby, he put out his broad, flat hand with well-concealed dislike. I'm glad to see you, sir. Make us a cold ring, cried Daisy. As he left the room again, she got up and went over to Gatsby and pulled his face down, kissing him on a mouth. 
You know I love you, she murmured. You forgot there's a lady present, said Jordan. Daisy looked around doubtfully. You kiss Nick too? What a low vulgar girl. I don't care, cried Daisy and began to clog on a brick fireplace. Then she remembered the heat and sat down guiltily on a couch just as a freshly laundered nurse leading a little girl came into a room. Blessed precious, she crooned holding out her arms. Come to your own mother that loves you, she said. The child, relinquished by the nurse, rushed across the room and rooted shyly into her mother's dress. The blessed precious, did mother get powder on your old yellowy hair? Stand up now and said hovi do we do. Gatsby and I, in turn, leaned down and took a small reluctant hand. Afterwards, he kept looking at a child with surprise. I don't think he had ever really believed in its existence before. I got dressed before luncheon, said the child, turning eagerly to Daisy. That's because your mother wanted to show you off. Her face bent into a single wrinkle of a small white neck. Your dream is you. Your absolutely little dream. Yes, admitted the child calmly. And Jordan got on a white dress too. How do you like mother's friend? Daisy turned her around so that she faced Gatsby. Do you think they are pretty? Where's daddy? She doesn't look like her father, explained Daisy. She'd look like me. She got my hair and shape of the face. Daisy sat back upon a couch. The nurse took a step forward and held out her hand. Come, Pampy. Goodbye, sweetheart. With a reluctant backward glance, the well-disciplined child held to her nurse's hand and was pulled out of a door just as Tom came back, preceding four green rickies that clinged full of ice. Gatsby took up his drink. They certainly look cool, he said, with visible tension. We drank in long, greedy swallows. I'd read somewhere that the sun's getting hotter every year, said Tom genuinely. It seems that pretty soon that the earth's going to fall into a sun, or wait a minute, it's just the opposite. The sun's getting colder every year. Come outside, he suggested to Gatsby. I'd like you to have a look at the place. I went with them out to a veranda. On a green sound, Stagnant in the heat, one small sail crawled slowly to the fresher sea. Gatsby's eyes followed it momentarily. He raised his hand and pointed across the bay. I'm right across from you. So you are. Our eyes lifted over a rose bed and a hot lawn and the weedy refuse of a dog days along shore. Slowly, the white wings of a boat moved against a blue cool limit of the sky. Ahead lay a scalloped ocean and an abounding blessed eyeless. There's a spot for you, said Tom nodding. I'd like to be out there with him for half an hour. 
we had luncheon in a dining room, darkened too against the heat, and drank down nervous gaiety with a cold ale. What we will do with ourselves this afternoon? cried Daisy, and the day after that, and the next thirty years. Don't be morbid, Jordan said. Life starts all over again when it get crisp in the fall, but it's so hot, insisted Daisy, on a verge of tears and everything so confused. Let's all go to town. Her voice struggled on through the heat, beating against it, molding its senselessness into forms. I've heard of making a garage out of a staple, Tom was saying to Gatsby, but I'm a first man who have ever made a staple out of garage. Who wants to go to town? demanded Daisy instantly. Gatsby's eyes floated towards me. Ha! she cried. You look so cool. Their eyes met and they started together at each other, alone in a space. With an effort, she glanced down at the table. You also look so cool, she repeated. She had told him that she loved him, and Tom Buchanan saw. He was astounded. His mouth opened a little, and he looked at Gatsby, and then back at Daisy, as if he had just recognized her as someone he knew a long time ago. You resemble the advertisement of a man, she went on innocently. You know the advertisement of a man? All right, broke in Tom quickly. I'm perfectly willing to go to town. Come on, we're all going to town. He got up, his eyes still flashing between Gatsby and his wife. No one moved. Come on, his temper crackled a little. What's the matter anyhow? If you're going to town, let's start. His hand trembling with his effort at self-control bowed to his lips the last of his glass of ale. Daisy's voice got us to our feet and out to a blazing gravel drive. Are we just going to go? She objected. Like this? Aren't we going to let anyone smoke a cigarette first? Everybody smoked all through the lunch. Ho, oh, let's have fun, she begged him. It's too hot to fuss. He didn't answer. Have it on your own way, she said. Come on, Jordan. They went upstairs to get ready while we three men stood there shuffling the hot pebbles with our feet. A silver curve of the moon hovered already in the western sky. Gatsby started to speak, changed his mind but not before Tom wheeled and faced him expectantly. Have you got your staples here? asked Gatsby with an effort, about quarter of a mile down the road. Oh, that sounds good. A pause. I don't see the idea of going to town, broke out Tom savagely. Women get this notation in their head. Shall we take anything to drink? called Daisy from an upper window. I'll get some whiskey, answered Tom. He went inside. Gatsby turned to me rigidly. I can't say anything in his house, old sport. She got an indiscreet voice, I remarked. 
It's full of, I think it's hesitated. Her voice is full of money, he said suddenly. That was it. I never understood before. It was full of money that was inexhaustible charm that rose and fell in it, the jingle of it, the camel song of it, and high in a white palace, the king's doctor and the golden girl. Tom came out of a house, wrapping a quarter bottle in a towel, followed by Daisy and Jordan, wearing a small tight hat of metallic cloth and carrying light capes over their arms. Shall we all go in my car? suggested Gatsby. He felt the hot green leather of a seat. I ought to have left it in the shade. It is standard shift, demanded Tom. Yes, it is. Well, you take my cope and let me drive your car to town. The suggestion was disrespectful to Gatsby. I don't think there's much gas, he objected. Plenty of gas, said Tom boyishly. He looked at the gorge. And if it runs out, I can stop out at a drugstore. You can buy anything at a drugstore now. A pause followed this apparently pointless remark. Daisy took a Tom frowning and an indefinable expression and one definitely unfamiliar and vaguely recognizable, as if I had only heard it described in words paused over Gatsby's face. Come on, Daisy, said Tom, pressing her with his hand towards Gatsby's car. I'll take you two in a circus wagon. He opened the door, but she moved out from a circle of his arm. You took Nick and Jordan. We'll follow you in the cope. She walked close to Gatsby, touching his coat with his hand. Jordan and Tom and I got into a front seat of Gatsby's car. Tom pushed the unfamiliar girls tenderly and we shot off into an oppressive heat, leaving them out of sight behind. Did you see that? demanded Tom. See what? He looked at me keenly, realizing that Jordan and I must have known all along. You think I'm pretty dumb, don't you? he suggested. Perhaps I am, but I have almost a second sight, sometimes, that I'll tell me what to do. Maybe you don't believe that, but science, he paused. The immediate contentious overtook him, pulled him back from the edge of a theoretical abyss. I made a small intervention of this fellow, he continued. I could have gone deeper if I don't know. Do you mean you've been to be medium? inquired Jordan humorously. What? confused. He stared at us as we laughed. A medium? About Gatsby? Yeah, about Gatsby. No, I haven't. I said I'd been making a small investigation of his past. And you found he was an Oxford man, said Jordan helpfully. Yeah, he's an Oxford man. He was incredulous. Like hell, he is. He was a pink suit. Nevertheless, he's an Oxford man. Oxford? New Mexico? Snorted Tom contemptuously. Or something like that. Listen, Tom, 
If you are such a snob, why did you invite him to lunch? demanded Jordan crossly. Daisy invited him. She knew him before we were married. God knows where. We were all irrelatable now with a fading ale and aware of it, we drove for a while in silence. Then, as Dr. T.J. Ecclesbert's faded eye came into sight down the road, I remembered Gatsby caution about gasoline. We got enough to get us to town, said Tom. But there's a garage right here, objected Jordan. I don't know what to get stalled in this baking heat. Tom threw on both brakes impatiently and we slid out to an abrupt dusty stop under a Wilson sign. After a moment, the proprietor emerged from the interior of his establishment and gassed all eyes at the car. Let's have some gas, cried Tom roughly. Why do you think we soft for? To admire the view? I'm sick, said Wilson without moving. Being sick all day? What's the matter? I'm all run down. Well, shall I help myself? Tom demanded. You sounded well enough on the phone. With an effort, Wilson left the shade and support of a doorway and breathing hard, unscrewed the cap of a tank. In the sunlight, his face was green. I didn't mean to interrupt your lunch, he said. But I need more money pretty bad. And I was wondering what you were going to do with your old car. How do you like this one? inquired Tom. I bought it last week. It's a nice yellow one, said Wilson, as he strained at the handle. Like to buy it? Big chance, Wilson smiled faintly. No, but I could make some more money on the other. What do you want money for, all of a sudden? I've been here too long. I want to get away. My wife and I want to go to West. Your wife does? exclaimed Tom startled. She'd been talking about it for ten years. He rested for a moment against the pump, shading his eyes. And now she's going whether she want to or not. I'm going to get her away. The cope flashed by us with the flurry of dust and the flash of waving hands. What do I owe you? demanded Tom harshly. I just go whisked up to something funny the last two days, remarked Wilson. That's why I want to get away. That's why I've been bothering you about the car. What do I owe you? Dollar twenty. The rentless beating heat was beginning to confuse me and I had a bad moment there before I realized that so far his suspicion hadn't aligned on Tom. He has discovered that Meryl had some sort of life apart from him in another world and the sock has made him physically sick. I stared at him and then at Tom who had made a parallel discovery less than an hour before and I occurred to me that there was no difference between men in intelligence or race, so profound as the difference between the sick and the well. Wilson was so sick that he looked guilty, unforgettably guilty, as if he had just got some poor girl with child. 
I'll let you have that car, said Tom. I'll send it over tomorrow afternoon. That locality was always vaguely disquieting, even in the broad glare of afternoon, and now I turned my head as though I had been warned of something behind. Over the hash heap, the giant eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg kept their vigil, but I perceived after a moment that other eyes were regarding us with peculiar intensity from less than 20 feet away. In one of the window over the garage, the curtain has been moved aside a little, and Miral was peering down at the car. So encrossed was she that she had no conscience of being observed, and one emotion after another crept into her eyes like object into a slowly developing picture. Her expression was curiously familiar. It was an expression I had often seen on women's face, but on Merrill Wilson's face it seemed purposefully and inexpectable until I realized that her eyes, wide with jealous terror, was fixed not on Tom but on Jordan Baker, whom she took to be his wife. There is no confusion like the confusion of a simple mind, and as we drove away, Tom was feeling the hot wipes of panic. His wife and his mistress, until an hour ago, secure and inviolent, were slipping preciously from his control. Instinct made him step on the acceleration with the double purpose of overtaking Daisy and leaving Wilson behind and we spent a long towards Astria at 50 miles an hour until among the spidely guiders of an elevator we came into a sight of easy-going blue cope. Those big movies around 15 streets are cool, suggested Jordan. I love New York and summer afternoon when everyone's are away. There's something very senses about it overripe as if all sort of funny fruits were going to fall into your hands. The word sensuous had the effect of further disquesting Tom, but before he could invent a protest, the cope came to a stop and Daisy signalled us to draw up alongside. Where are we going? she cried. How about the movies? It's so hot, she complained. You go. We'll ride around and meet you after. With an effort, her withdraws faintly fault. We'll meet you on some corner. I'll be the man smoking two cigarettes. We can't argue about it here, Tom said impatiently as a truck gave out a crushing whistle behind us. You follow me to a south side of Central Park in the front of a plaza. Several times, he turned his head and looked back for their car, and if the traffic delayed them, he slowed up until they came into sight. I think he was afraid they won't trot down a side street and out of his life forever. But they didn't, and we all took the less expectable step of engaging the parlour of a suit in a plaza hotel. The prolonged and tumblous argument 
that ended by herding us into that room eludes me though i have a sharp physical memory that it is of course my underwear kept climbing like a damp snake around my legs and intermittent beads of sweat traced cool across my back the notion originated with daisy's suggestion that we hire five bathrooms and take cold bath and then assured more tangible form of a place to have a mite jolt each of us sailed over and over that it was a crazy idea we all talked at once to a baffled clerk and thought of course to be pretended to think that we were being very funny the room was large and stifling and thought it was already 4 o'clock opening the windows admitted only a gust of hot shrubbery from the park daisy went to the mirror and stood with her back to us fixing her hair it's a swell suit whispered georgian respectfully and everyone laughed open another window commanded daisy without turning around there aren't any more well we'd better telephone for an axe the things to do is to forget about the heat said tom impatiently you make it 10 times worse by craving about it he unrolled the bottle of whiskey from a towel and put it on to a table why not let her alone old sport remarked gatsby you're the one they wanted to come to town there was a moment of silence the telephone book slipped from his nail and splashed to the floor whereupon jordan whispered excuse me but this time no one laughed i'll pick it up i offered i've got it gatsby examined the parted string muttered hmm in an interesting way and tossed the book on a chair that's a great expression of yours isn't it said tom sharply what is all this old sport business where do you pick up that now see here tom said daisy turning around from a mirror if you're going to make personal remarks i won't stay here a minute call up and order some ice for the minute julep as tom took up the receiver the compressed heat exploded in a sound and we were listening to the porteous chord of melancholous wedding march from a balloon room below imagine marrying anybody in this heat cried jordan dismally still i am married in the middle of june daisy remembered loswell in june somebody fainted who was it fainted tom biloxi he answered shortly a man named biloxi blocks biloxi and he made boxes that's a fact and he was from biloxi tenancies then he carried him into my house appended jordan because we lived just two doors from the church and he stayed 3 weeks until daddy told him he have got to get out the day after he left the daddy died after a moment she added there wasn't any connection i used to know a bill boxy from a mephis i remarked that was his cousin i knew him whole family history 
Before he left, he gave me an aluminium putter that I use today. The music has died down as the ceremony began and now a long cheer floated it in the air followed by intermittent cries of ya and finally by a burst of jaws as a dancing began we are getting old said daisy if we were young we'll rise and dance remember bilocksky jordan bond her where do you know him tom bilocksy he concentrated with an effort i didn't know him he was a friend of daisy's he was not she denied i'd never seen him before he came down in a private car well he said he knew you he said he was raised in losville azabright bought him around at a last minute and asked if he had any room for him jordan smiled he was probably bumping his way home he told me he was president of your class at yale tom and i looked at each other blankly bilocksky first place we didn't have any president gatsby foot beat a shot restless tattoo and tom eyed him suddenly by the way mr gatsby i understand you're an oxford man not exactly oh yes i understand you went to oxford yes i went there a pause then tom's voice incredulous and insulting you must have gone there about a time bilosky went to new heaven another pause a waiter knocked and came in with crushed mint and ice but the silence was unbroken by this thank you and a soft closing of a door this tremendous detail was to be cleared up at last i told you i went there said gatsby i hear you man but i like to know when it was in 1919 i only stayed 5 months that's why i can't really call myself an oxford man tom glanced around to see if he mirrored him unbelief but we were all looking at gatsby it was an opportunity they gave to some of the officers after the armstead he continued we could go to any of the universities in england or france i wanted to get up and slap him on the back i had one of those renewables of complete faith in him that i experienced before daisy rose smiled faintly and went to the table open the biscuit tom she ordered and i'll make you a mint julep then you won't seem to stupid yourself look at the mint wait a minute snapped tom i want to ask mr gatsby one more question go on gatsby said politely what kind of a row are you trying to cause in my house anyway they were out in a open at last and gatsby was content he isn't causing a row daisy looked desperately from one end to another you're causing a road please have a little self control self control repeated tom incredulously i suppose the latest thing is to sit back and let mr nobody from nowhere 
make love to your wife well if that's the idea you came count me out nowadays people begin by sneering at family life and family institution and next they'll throw everything overboard and have intermarriage between black and white flushed with his impassionate gibberish he saw himself standing alone on a last barrier of civilization we are all white here murmured jordan i know i'm not very popular i don't give big parties i suppose you got to make your house into a pixie in order to have any friends in a modern world angry as i was as well all we are i tempered to laugh whenever he opened his mouth the transition from libertine to prig was so complete i've got something to tell you old sport began gatsby but daisy guessed at his intention please don't she interrupted helplessly please let's all go home why don't we all go home that's a good idea i got up come on todd nobody wants a drink i want to know what mr gatsby has to tell me your wife doesn't love you said gatsby she never loved you she loves me you must be crazy exclaimed tom automatically gatsby sprang to his feet vivid with excitement she never loved you do you hear he cried she only married you because i was poor and i was trying to waiting for me i was been terrible mistake but in her heart she never loved anyone except me at this point jordan and i tried to go but tom and gatsby insisted with competitive firmness that we remain as though neither of them had anything to conceal and it would be privilege to partake vigorously of their emotion sit down daisy tom voice groped unsuccessfully for a paternal note what's been going on i want to hear all of it i told you what's been going on said gatsby going on for 5 years and you didn't know tom turned to daisy sharply you've been seeing this fellow for 5 years not seeing said gatsby no we couldn't meet but both of us loved each other all the time old sport and you didn't know i used to laugh sometimes but there was no laughter in his eyes to think that you didn't know ho oh, that's all tom tapped his thick finger together like a curry man and leaned back in his chair you're crazy he exploded i can't speak about what happened 5 years ago because i didn't know daisy then and i'll be damned if i see how you got within a mile of her unless you bought the groceries to the back door but all the rest of that a good damn lie daisy loved me when she married me and she loves me now no said gatsby shaking his head she does though the trouble is that sometime she get foolish ideas in her head and doesn't know what she's going she nodded sagely and what's more i love daisy too once in a while 
I go off on a spear and make a fool of myself, but I always come back, and in my heart I love her all the time. You're revolting, said Daisy. She turned to me, and her voice, dropping an octave lower, filled the room with thrilling scorn. Do you know why we left Chicago? I'm surprised that they didn't treat you to the story of that little spear. Gatsby walked over and stood beside her. Daisy, that's all over now, he said earnestly. It doesn't matter anymore. Just tell him the truth, that you never loved him, and it's all wiped out forever. She looked at him blindly. Why? How could I love him possibly? You never loved him. She hesitated. Her eyes fell on Jordan and me with a sort of appeal, as though she realized at last what she was doing and as though she had never, all alone, intended doing anything at all. But it was done now. It was too late. I never loved him, she said, with perceptible reluctance. Not a capulini? demanded Tom suddenly. No. From the ballroom beneath, muffled and suffocating cords were drifting up on hot waves of air. Not that day I carried you down from a punch bowl to keep your shoes dry. There was a husky tenderness in his tone. Daisy, please don't. Her voice was cold, but the rancor was gone from it. He looked at Gatsby. There, Jay, she said, but her hands, as she tried to light a cigar, was trembling. Suddenly, she threw the cigarette and the burning match on a carpet. Ho, oh, what do you want too much? She cried to Gatsby. I love you now. Isn't that enough? I can't help what's the past. She began to sob helplessly. I didn't love him once, but I loved you too. You loved me too? He repeated. Even that's the lie, said Tom savagely. She didn't know you were alive. Why? There's thing between Daisy and me that you'll never know. Things that neither of us can ever forget. The words seemed to be bit physically into Gatsby. I want to speak to Daisy alone, he insisted. She all excited now. Even alone, I can't say I never loved Tom. She admitted in a pitiful voice. It wouldn't be true. Of course it wouldn't, agreed Tom. She turned to her husband. As if it mattered to you, she said. Of course it matters. I'm going to take better care of you from now on. You don't understand, said Gatsby with a touch of panic. You're not going to take care of her anymore. I'm not. Tom opened his eyes wide and laughed. He couldn't afford to control himself now. Why is that? Daisy leaving you? Nonsense. I am, though, she said with a visible effort. She's not leaving me. Tom's word suddenly leaned down over Gatsby. Certainly not for a common swindler who'd had to steal the ring they put on her finger. I won't stand this cried Daisy. Oh, please, let's get out. Who you are, anyhow, broke out Tom. You're one of that bunch 
that hangs around with Mayo Ulcium, that much I happen to know. I've made a little investigation into your affairs and I'll carry it further tomorrow. You can't suit yourself about that old sport, said Gatsby steadily. I found out what's your drugstore wear. He turned to us and spoke rapidly. He and his Wilsium bought up a lot of side street drugstore here and in Chicago and sold grain alcohol over the counter. That's one of his little stunts. I picked him for a bootlegger the first time I saw him, and I wasn't far wrong. What about it? said Gatsby politely. I guess your friend Walter Chase wasn't too proud to come into you. And you let him in the lurch, didn't you? You let him go to jail for a month over in New Jersey. God! You ought to hear Walter on a subject of you. He came to us dead broke. He was very glad to pick up some money, old sport. Don't you call me old sport? cried Tom. Gatsby said nothing. Walter could have you up on a betting loss too. But Wilsium scared him into shutting his mouth. That's unfamiliar, yet recognizable look was back again in Gatsby's face. That drugstore business was just a small change, continued Tom slowly. But you got something on. Now, the Walter afraid to tell me about. I glanced at Daisy, who was staring terrified between Gatsby and her husband, and at Jordan, who had begun to balance an invisible but absorbing object on a tip of her chin. Then, I turned back to Gatsby and was startled at his expression. He looked, and this is said in all contempt for a bald slander of his garden, as if he had been killed a man. For a moment, the set of his face could be described in just the fantastic way. It paused, and I began to talk excitedly to Daisy, denying everything, defending his name against accusation that has not been made. But with every word, she was drawing further and further into herself. So he gave that up, and only the dead dream fought on as the afternoon slipped away, trying to touch what was no longer tangible struggling unhappily, undesperately, towards the lost voice across the room. The voice begged again to go. Please, Tom, I can't stand this any more. Her frightened eyes told that whatever intentions, whatever courage she had, were definitely gone. You two start on home, Daisy, said Tom, in Mr. Gatsby's car. She looked at Tom, alarmed now, but he insisted with magnanimous scorn. Go on, he won't annoy you. I think he realizes that his presumption little flirtation is over. They were gone without a word, snapped out, made accidental isolated like ghosts, even from our pity. After a moment, Tom got up and began wrapping the unnobed bottle of whiskey in a towel. Want any of this stuff, Jordan? Or Nick? I didn't answer. Nick? He asked again. What? Want any? No. 
I just remember that today is my birthday. I am 30 now. Before me stretch the party and a sum, menacing road of a new decade starts. It was 7 o'clock when we got into a cope with him and started for Long Island. Tom talked innocently, excluding and laughing, but his voice was a remote from Jordan and me as a foreign clamber on a sidewalk of his head. Human sympathy has its limits and we were content to let all their tragic argument fade away with the city light behind. 30. The promise of a decade of loneliness, a thinning list of single men to know, a thinning briefcase of enthusiasm and thinning hair. But they were Jordan beside me, who unlikely Daisy was too wise ever to carry well-forgotten dreams from age to age. As we passed over a dark bridge, her wan face fell lazily against my coat shoulder and the formable stroke of thirty died away with the reassuring pressure of her hand. So, we drove on towards death, towards the cooling twilight. The young Greek, Michaelis, who ran the coffee joint beside the ash heap, was the principal witness at the inquest. He had slept through the heat until after five when he scrawled over to a garage and found George Wilson sick in his office and really sick, pale as his own pale hair and shaking all over. Michaelis advised him to go to bed, but Wilson refused, saying that he'd missed a lot of business if he did. While his neighbor was trying to persuade him, a violent racket broke out overhead. I've got my wife logged in up there, explained Wilson calmly. She's going to stay there till the day after tomorrow and then we are going to move away. Michael was astonished. They had been neighbor for four years and Wilson had never seemed faintly capable of such a statement. Generally, he was one of these worn-out men. When he was working, he sat on a chair in a doorway and stared at the people and the chairs that passed along the road. When anyone spoke to him, he invariably laughed in agreeable, colorless way. He was his wife man and not his own. So naturally, Michael tried to find out what had happened, but Wilson wouldn't say a word. Instead, he began to throw curious, suspicious glances at his visitor and ask him what he'd been doing a certain times on certain days. Just as the latter was getting uneasy, some workmen came past the door bound for his restaurant and Michaelison took the opportunity to get away, intending to come back after all. But he didn't. He supposed he forget to, that's all. When he began outside, a little after seven, he was reminded of the conversation because he hears Mrs. Wilson's voice, loud and scolding, downstairs in the garage. Beat me, he heard her cry. Throw me down and beat me, your dirty little coward. A moment later, she rushed out into a dusk, waving her hands 
and shouting before he could move from his door the business was over the death car as the newspaper called it didn't stop it came out of a gathering darkness wavered tragically for a moment and then disappeared around the next bend mavro michael wasn't even sure of its color he took a first policeman that it was a light green the other car the one going towards new york came to rest a hundred yards beyond and its driver hurried back to where michael wilson her life violently extinguished clenched in a road and mingled her thick dark blood with the dust michael and his man reached her first but when they had torn open her shirt waist still damp with perception they saw that her left breast was swinging loose like a flag and there was no need to listen for a heart beneath the mouth was wide open and ripped a little at the corners as though she had choked a little in giving up the tremendous vitality she had stored so long we saw the three or four automobiles and the crowd when we were still at some distance away wreck said tom that's good wilson had a little business at last he slowed down but still without any intention of stopping until as we came nearer the husband intended face of a people at the garage door made him automatically put on the brakes we'll take a look he said doubtfully just a look i begin aware of now a hollow wailing sound which issued instantly from the garage a sound which we as we go out of a coupe and walk towards the door resolve itself into a verse oh my god uttered over and over in a gasping moan there's some bad trouble here said tom excitedly he reached up on tiptoes and peered over circle of heads into a garage which was lit only by a yellow light in a swinging metal basket overhead then he made a harsh sound in his throat and with a violent thrashing movement of his powerful arms pushed his way through the circle closed up again with a running murmur of exploitation it was a minute before i could see anything at all then new arrivals deranged the line and jordan and i were pushed suddenly inside mirrell wilson body wrapped in a blanket and then in another blanket as though she suffered from a chill in a hot night lay on a workable by a wall and tom with his back to us was bending over it motionlessly next to him stood a motorcycle policeman taking down names with much sweat and correction in a little book at first i couldn't find the source of the high groaning words that echoed clariously through a bare garage then i saw wilston standing on it raised the threshold of his office swaying back and forth and holding to a voice and attempting from time to time to lay a hand on his shoulder but wilson neither heard nor saw 
his eyes would drop slowly back to a light again and he gave out instantly with high horrible call oh my god oh my god presently tom lifted his head with a jerk and after staring around a garage with a glazed eyes addressed a muffled incoherent remark to the policeman the policeman was saying ho oh, no or correct man mavro listen to me muttered tom furiously said the policeman he looked up as tom's broad hand fell sharply on his shoulder what do you want fella what happened that's what i want to know auto hit her instantly killed instantly killed repeat tom staring she ran out in a road son of a bitch didn't even stop his car there was two cars said michael one coming and another one going see going where asked the policeman keenly one going each way well she his first throws towards the blanket but stopped halfway and fell to his side she ran out there the one coming from new york knock right into her going 30 or 40 miles an hour what's the name of this place here demanded the officer hasn't got any name a pale well-dressed negro stopped near it was a yellow car he said big yellow car a new one see the accident asked the policeman no but the car passed me down the road going faster 40 going 50 and 60 come here and let's have your name look out now i want to get his name some words of his conversation must have reached wilson swaying in the office door for suddenly a new theme found voice among his grasping cries you don't have to tell me what kind of a car it was i know what kind of car it was watching tom I saw the wad of muscle back of his shoulder tighten under his coat. He walked quickly over to Wilson and standing in front of him seized him firmly by the upper arms. "You've got to pull yourself together," he said with soothing gruffness. Wilson's eyes fell upon Tom. He started up on his tiptoes and then would have collapsed to his knees. had not tom held him upright listen said tom shaking him a little i just got here a minute ago from new york i was bringing you that coupe we were been talking about that yellow car i was driving this afternoon wasn't mine do you hear i haven't seen it all afternoon only the negro and i were near enough to hear what he said but the policeman caught something in the tone and looked over with tranquilant eyes what's all that he demanded i'm a friend of his tom turned his head but he kept his hand firm on wilson's body he says he knew the car that it did it was a yellow car some dim impulse moved the policeman to look suspiciously at tom and what colors your car it's a blue car cop We've come straight from New York I said 
someone who had been driving a little behind us confirmed this and the policeman turned away now if you let me have the name again correct me picking up wilson like a doll tom carried him into the office set him down in a chair and came back if somebody will come here and sit with him he snapped authoritatively he watched while the two men standing close to glanced at each other and went unwillingly into the room then tom shut the door on them and came down the single step his eyes avoiding the table as he passed close to me he whispered let's get out self consciously with his authoritative arms breaking the way we pushed through the still gathering crowd passing a hurried doctor case in hand who had been set for in wild hope half an hour ago tom drove slowly until we were beyond the bend then his foot came down hard and the cop raced along through the night in a little while i heard a low husky sob and saw that the tears were overflowing down his face the goddamn coward he whispered he didn't even stop his car the buckenens house floated suddenly towards us through the dark crusting trees tom stopped behind the porch and looked up at the second floor where two windows bloomed with light among the vines daisy's house he said as we go out of the car he glanced at me and frowned slightly i ought to have dropped you in bestegnik there's nothing we can do tonight a change had come over him and he spoke gravely and with decision as we walked across the moonlit gravel to the porch he disposed the situation into a few brisk phrases i'll telephone for a taxi to take you home and while you're waiting you the jordan better go into the kitchen and have them get some supper if you want any he opened the door come in no thanks i'd be glad if you order me the taxi i'll wait outside jordan put her hand on my arms won't you come nick no thanks i was feeling a little sick and i wanted to be alone but jordan lingered for a moment more it's only half past 9 she said i'd be damned if i go in i had enough of all of them for one day and suddenly that included jordan too she must have seen something of this in my expression for she turned abruptly away and rang up the porch steps into the house i sat down for a few minutes with my heads in the hand until i heard the phone taken up by inside and the butler's voice calling a taxi then i walked slowly down the drive away from the house intended to wait by the gate i had gone 20 yards when i heard my name and gatsby stepped from between two bushes into the path i must have felt pretty weird by the time because i could think of nothing except the luminosity of his pink suit under the moon what are you doing i inquired just standing here old sport somehow they seemed a despicable occupation for all i knew he was going to rob the house in a moment 
I wouldn't have been surprised to see a sinister faces, the faces of Ulsiem people, behind him in a dark shrubbery. Did you see any trouble on the road? He asked for a minute. Yes. He hesitated. Was she killed? Yes. I thought so. I told Daisy. I thought so. It's better that the shock should all come at once. She took it pretty well. He spoke as if Daisy's reaction was the only thing that mattered. I got to West Egg by a side road. He went on and left the car in my garage. I don't think anybody saw us, but of course, I can't be sure. I disliked him so much by this time that I didn't find it necessary to tell him he was wrong. Who was the woman? He inquired. Her name was Wilson. Her husband owns the garage. How's the devil did it happen? Well, I tried to swing the wheel. He broke off and suddenly I guessed at the truth. Was Daisy driving? Yes, he said after a minute. But of course, I'll say I was. You say, when we left New York, she was very nervous and she thought it would steady her to drive and this woman rushed out at us just as we were passing a car coming the other way. It's all happened in a minute, but it seemed to me that she wanted to speak to us, though we were steady by now. Well, first Daisy turned away from the woman towards the other car and then she lost her nerve and turned back. The second my hand reached the wheel, I felt the shock. It must have killed her instantly. It tripped her open. Don't tell me, old sport. He winked. Anyhow, Daisy stepped on it. I tried to make her stop, but she couldn't. So I pulled on the emergency brake. Then she fell over into my lap and I drove on. She'll be all right tomorrow, he said presently. I'm just going to wait here and see if he tries to bother her about the unpleasantness this afternoon. She locked herself into her room and if he tries any brutality, she's going to turn the light out and on again. He won't touch her, I said. He's nothing thinking about her. I don't trust him, old sport. How long are you going to wait? All night, if necessary. Anyhow, till they all go to bed. A new point of view occurred to me. Suppose Tom found out that Daisy had been driving, he might think he saw a connection in it. He might think anything. I looked at the house. There was two or three bright window downstairs and the pink glow from Daisy's room on the ground floor. You wait here, I said. I'll see if there's any sign of commotion. I walked back along the border of a lawn, transversed the gravel softly and tiptoed up the veranda steps. The drawing room curtains were open and I saw the room was empty. Crossing the porch where we dined that June night three months before, I came to a small rectangle of light which I guessed was the pantry window. The blind was drawn but I found a right at the sill. 
Daisy and Tom were sitting opposite each other at a kitchen table with a plate of cold fried chicken between them and two bottle of ale. He was talking intently across a table at her and in his earnestness his hand had fallen upon and covered her own. Once in a while she looked up at him and nodded in agreement. They weren't happy and neither of them had touched the chicken or the ale and yet they weren't unhappy either. There was an unmistakable air of natural intimacy about the picture and anybody would have said that they were conspiring together. As I tipped from the porch, I heard my taxi feeling its way along the dark road towards the house. Gatsby was waiting where I had left him in the drive. Is it all quiet up there? He asked anxiously. Yes, it's all quiet. I hesitated. You better come home and get some sleep. He shook his head. I want to wait here till Daisy goes to bed. Good night, old sport. He put his hand in his coat pockets and turned back eagerly to his circus day of the house as though my present mad the sadness of the vigil. So I walked away and let him standing there in the moonlight watching over nothing.